Welcome to the People Planet Prosperity Podcast. To all of our listeners, it's been a minute, but we're really excited to have our guest for today, Stephen Heckbert, Executive Director of the Canadian Port Council. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you on. Sean, thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to be here. Hope I can provide folks with some information, uh, and uh, I'll do my best to answer the questions and and try to fill people in on why the pork industry has an incredibly bright future uh, and why they should think about joining the industry. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this. I know when we think of pork, we often think of Saturday morning breakfast, bacon on the on the grill, and and I'm excited to let's go a little beyond that today. Sure. So to start off, Stephen. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you came to do what you do, and then the role that you're doing now. Sure. So uh, happy to do that. Originally from Prince Edward Island, uh, was uh, worked for my father was a diesel mechanic. We owned our own garage, so have some background in dealing with farmers. Uh, you know, worked on tractors from a very young age. Uh, you know, helping dad in the in the garage. But you know, we didn't have a farm, but we uh, obviously from PEI had a lot of farmers that we dealt with. Uh, and so have always enjoyed agriculture, um, was first a reporter and then went into uh, politics for a variety of reasons, none of which are super fun. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, worked for, in New Brunswick for the McKenna government for a while uh, and did a variety of other jobs. Moved to Ottawa um, in 2001, working for an IT company. Uh, and then, uh, you know, again, took a political job for a little bit. Uh, and then uh, decided uh, wanted to be a teacher. Uh, actually, wanted to sort of have an impact uh, on future generations. So prior to this job, I was actually teaching for the last fifteen years at Algonquin College here in Ottawa. Uh, taught communications. Um, so um, you know, some of you may wonder, well, why would you leave a full time teaching job, Stephen? Isn't that great? Uh, well, I I actually said when I got hired, I thought it would be a 15-year job, and I left 15 years to the day from starting, uh, largely because it's it's an exhausting job. Teaching is, uh, I have tremendous respect for teachers. Uh, it's an exhausting job, and it does require a lot of commitment uh, and a lot of compassion. Um, so, um, you know, went, went looking around, looked for what the next opportunity would be, uh, and this opportunity was one, uh, you know, that I had looked at and uh, had a conversation with the board, and uh, for whatever reason, the board felt that I would be bringing uh, sort of what they wanted uh, to this job. And I think one of the things that that sort of brought me to this job is uh, my communications background, a uh, bit of a simplicity expert. Uh, so really trying to simplify how we talk about the industry uh, and try to make sure that we understand what people need to know about the industry. And rather than talk about the industry in a way that we want to talk about it, Talk about it in a way that people can understand and people can get behind. I love what you're saying there, um, especially at Young Canadians for Resources. Uh, we are huge believers in the idea of making this content accessible to others, right? Whether it's mining, whether it's agriculture, um, there's so much cool information out there and people often feel like there's this barrier, but absolutely simplification is so important. Um, I just want to jump in on something you said before. You talked about how your family growing up, there was a, a diesel um, repair shop um, and you weren't farmers, but you worked with farmers. And I think that point's really cool because farming affects more than just uh, the people who are actually farmers, right? There's so many other industries um, involved in that. So it's really neat that you mentioned that. And I know I'm going to circle back to that later on, but I just wanted to highlight that point. Okay. So the Canadian Port Council, you're now working there. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, 
Thane Pork Council represents more than 7,000 pork producers from coast to coast. Uh, we have nine, we're a confederation of nine provincial associations. So uh, Ontario Pork, uh, Les Elevards de Port de Québec. So all of our provincial associations are our members. So they're sort of, uh, they're sort of my boss. Uh, but we uh, represent uh, pig farmers, uh, producers from across Canada. Some of them are integrators. So in other words, the big uh, sort of processor companies have their own farms often. So Maple Leaf Foods is a member. Uh, you know, all emails a member. So we, we run the gamut from, you know, very small producers, uh, you know, might have sort of 10 sows, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, all the way through to some of the major organizations. So it's our job uh, to to do really a variety of things. But, you know, our, our number one job is to ensure that Canadian pork uh, can be sold and, and is ready to be sold around the world. So what that means is, market access discussion. So we're engaged in trade files and making sure that the government understands how we feel about trade. We're involved in the regulatory framework that lets our pork be ready to be sold around the world. So food safety standards, you know, quality standards on farm programs, all those things. But really, our number one job, our number one job is to make sure that Canadian pork producers uh, have a product to sell around the world and that the world is ready uh, to pay the most competitive price it can for that product, uh, but also make sure that, that 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 the market for those products is growing as we go through our business. Good. Thank you. Um, there was something interesting you said there about uh, like the diversity of producers where you have <clears throat> smaller scale producers to your more commercial scale um, farms. And Obviously, you know, sometimes people will favor one over the other, but I'd be curious, like, what's your perspective on how all of those different types of producers fit together to meet the demand for pork? Um, so, you know, it's funny, they actually all work in sync, right? And, and one of the key things to remember is um, every producer is important. And the reason why every producer is important is because uh, every producer is helping to preserve rural Canada, no matter the size of them, no matter the scope. Uh, they're hard at work in making sure that there are jobs in rural Canada, that there are things that we grow and we share from rural Canada. Uh, and so the pork industry is an enormous part of keeping rural Canada alive. Pork is currently about just slightly under 1% of our total exports, um, which, you know, 1% doesn't sound like a lot until you realize it's $5 billion uh, is 1% of our total exports. So, so pork is such a crucial element for us in our whole suite of things. And, um, you know, the story we've, we've told in the past has often been, uh, you know, farmers have often sort of apologized for being farmers, which is super cute, but it's got to stop. Uh, like, you know, farmers are integral to the function of our society. They're responsible for making sure that we have a secure source of food. They're in essential to ensure that we can feed the populations of, and, and frankly, one of the things that farmers have been able to do incredibly well uh, is that people no longer think about where their food comes from. They're super happy to just sort of go to the grocery store and get it, and they assume it's going to be there. Um, and so from my perspective, right, like the, the stories the farmers have to tell, we just have to work uh, harder at telling our story. Uh, and, and, and that's, I think, probably one of the things that I try to bring uh, to us here at the Pork Council all the time is make sure that people understand our story. And our story is, uh, frankly, it's an incredibly positive story. We've made great strides in our environmental footprint. We've made great strides in terms of how we care and, uh, and sort of, you know, take care of our animals. Uh, and I think we've got a great news story, frankly, the Canadians should know more about. But again, it's a question of 
you know, everybody's busy, right? And, and nobody's necessarily thinking about farmers, uh, but we have to help be ready for people when they come and want to think about where their food comes from. We need to make sure that we're, we've got a, a, the story, the right story to tell. Uh, and it's a story of success and it's a story of safety and it's a story of uh, sort of growth. So that's the story we're trying to tell about pork. I love what you're saying about the storytelling because um, on our end as well, like when we're talking to young Canadians, we really emphasize the value of stories and, and personal experiences because facts are good and they matter, but nothing really grips people, especially in such a busy world as we live in, as personal stories. So that's that's great. And I know that's engaging for people. You, to, to go back to stories, you mentioned before farmers have this habit of apologizing for being farmers. Could you elaborate a little bit more on, on what you mean by that? So, you know, and in part it is, right, there's lots of things happening uh, around today's farmers, right? Like you'll hear stories, right? Like uh, uh, I, I talked to an MP once about industrial scale agriculture, uh, and he said, you know, oh, my God, industrial scale agriculture. And I said, well, first of all, let's just remember two things. It's not like there's a whole bunch of people who are thinking to themselves, you know, the job I really want to do. Uh, is I want to be a farmer, right? I want to work seven, uh, you know, I want to work seven twenty four three sixty five. I want to be ultimately responsible all the time for the security of my crops, or for the safety of my animals, or for the sort of the, all the equipment problems you're going to have on an average farm. Farming is a vocation; it's not a job. You believe in being a farmer, and you're so committed to your community, and you're such a community advocate, and you're so committed to making sure that you're really delivering that farmers. That through their humility, can't seem to grasp how generous that is, how how unbelievably kind that is. Um, and so the, the humility ends up that they end up sort of having to walk into the meetings like that. Uh, and someone says, oh, you know, you're engaged in industrial size agriculture. Well, okay, look, I have the equipment now in today's world that it's not all that weird to have a, a, a grain operation with 10,000 acres. Well, is that an industrial size operation or is that simply that we've learned to make the, the machinery more efficient, right? I know lots of family farms that have, you know, 4,000 sows now. And it's just they, they have, they hire staff and they hire an operation. That doesn't make them an industrial agricultural producer. It makes them a profitable farmer. Uh, and, but, you know, you know, people act as though somehow they understand agriculture because they buy food. Um, you know, we, we've changed every industry and agriculture has grown and changed as well. Um, and I think farmers should be proud of that. Farmers are among the most technologically savvy people we have on the planet now. They're the among, among the most economically informed people on the planet now. And, and I think they, they should really be celebrated for the fact that as a backbone of the Canadian economy, they have adapted and grown in ways that other industries could only dream of. That's really sad. Like, I love how you're... Um... Explaining for the, yeah, farmers really are so important and it's nothing to apologize for adapting to changing circumstances. It was interesting too, what you said about um, just because a farm, like a family farm may have all this equipment, it, perception's important and there's still family farms doing this great work and using the technology that's available through innovation, which is a phenomenal thing to do. Um, I want to circle back to something you said before. You talked about uh these, this industry is super important for preserving rural Canada. Why does that matter? Oh, God. Well, first of all, let's be honest about it. We're the second largest country in the world. And if we all live in Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, 
Uh, that's a lot of space that we're not using in any efficient way. But more importantly than that, I'm going to give you a stat, which I normally don't like. Canada produces 250% of the food that it needs. And frankly, that number is going to have to grow. And the reason why is because Canada is going to serve as the food security basket, frankly, uh, of the world. Lots of other places uh, can't grow the kind of food that they are going to need. Climate change is going to make some of those things harder for other places on the planet to meet their own domestic needs. China, for example, can't meet its domestic needs for food. Japan cannot meet its domestic need for food. Uh, so you've got these countries that need to ensure that they've got a partner they can rely on and a partner who that they can trust. So nothing personal. No one in downtown Toronto is going to grow food, right? If they can grow food, they're growing it on their balcony and they're growing it in a vertical wall and they're having enough tomatoes that they can make, let's say, four salads. Uh, so like we, we can pretend all we want for the rest of our lives that somehow there's an urban agriculture movement, yada, yada, yada. There isn't. We need farmers. We need farms. And if we don't have a, a preserved rural Canada that's going to be able to engage in those things, all of the things that make us Canada, our mineral wealth, our resource wealth, our water wealth, our farming wealth, our agricultural wealth, our energy wealth, all those things go away. Uh, and the more we can preserve and understand the need to preserve rural Canada, and that goes for everybody who lives in downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver, downtown Montreal, uh, and I don't want to be too blunt about it, but literally they should wake up every morning and say, thank God for farmers. Thank God that there are people out there who are making the things that I don't have to make because it's a tough life. It's a hard life. Um, I mean, there's a reason why I didn't do it. And I was, remember, the kid of a diesel mechanic, and he worked hard, worked very hard. But, you know, it's it would be if you were to design a job and sort of try to convince people to do it, farmer is going to be among the lowest on the list that people are automatically going to sign up to. It's hard work. It requires dedication and commitment. And um, and if we don't help them and preserve that industry, we're going to be very, it'd be very challenging for us to maintain our success as a country. We need farms and we need farmers. That is an excellent quote there. So you talked about Canada is a critical part of the international uh, food supply chain and for food security. Um, and our partners really rely on us. So specifically about Canada, what sets in the pork industry, what sets Canada's pork industry apart? What makes it so good? So we look, our farmers are pretty good at what they do. So our cost of production is uh, is certainly competitive with other places. It's not as competitive as, say, Brazil, uh, where they may have sort of, you know, easier regulations. Um, but, you know, there are uh, we have some advantages. Uh, we have uh, farmers who are quite good at this. Uh, we have uh, farmers who understand the need to invest in these infrastructure. Plus, we also have uh, advantages of, of a developed Western civilization, right? So we've got good infrastructure, we've got good roads, we've got a, a, a an understandable regulatory environment, we've got a consistent regulatory environment, um, and then we have good trade uh, agreements with with the world, right? So we we ship about uh, you know net net. Uh, we probably have an even trade relationship with the United States, but we ship about 20% of our production south of the border. We ship about 20% of our production to Japan. We we use about 30 to 35% of our production domestically. So we just have such a good reputation. Plus, let's be honest about it. There's some of the built-in advantages that Canada has, clean air, clean soil, clean water, 
right? Just a very pristine environment that we work hard to ensure we preserve it as well. Um, I just think that we've got some natural built-in advantages. And, and if I'm going to be honest about it, climate change in some cases is improving some of those advantages for Canada. So we know that with the changes that are coming to the environment, Canada's going to have more arable land. Canada's going to have uh, more far, more available farmland. And we're going to have to adapt and make sure that the, the natural advantages that are going to come in some cases to Canada, that we're going to share that wealth with countries around the world that won't have it. It was a good point you made about, obviously, in various places around the world, regulatory uh, environments are different. And this can sometimes, you know, provide advantages while also having negatives, right? Um, there's an importance to a good regulatory framework. Uh, and that's like a YCR, we're always big on that of Canada in most, pretty much all resource areas has some of the best regulatory frameworks out there uh, for standards, human rights, environmental practices. Um, so acknowledging, yeah, like regulatory frameworks are important. What, how could we improve competitiveness for the pork industry while also maintaining those high standards? What would you love to see? Well, uh, you know, if you were asking me today, I'd tell you that, uh, you know, passing C-234, it was originally passed by the House. So in other words, that's the bill that takes the carbon tax off of heating on barns and things like that. But that's a, a bit of a short-term you know, lobby effort that we're engaged in right away. Uh, but there are things we can do, um, you know, that, that would, uh, again, more, more predictability about the kinds of changes that are coming, right? And, and, and I'll give you an example, actually, sort of this is a bigger picture example. So, uh, so sometimes governments get engaged with uh, the flavor of the moment too much. So at this moment, you know, governments engaged with uh, carbon tax and climate change without sort of thinking about sustainability writ large, right? And sustainability includes, you know, proper water usage and includes a whole bunch of other things, not just carbon. Uh, so, you know, you know, you've got, you know, on the one hand, we're talking about sustainability and we're, and we're looking at that. But then on the other hand, you know, you will often see governments will um, sort of chase the flavor of the moment and, try to be reactive to uh, an individual thing like, you know, this government when it announced uh, superclusters, one of the superclusters was a protein supercluster, but they decided, the government decided when it announced it, that it wanted to focus on alternative proteins. So it wanted to focus on plant-based proteins. Well, okay, here's the thing. Uh, people had a Beyond Beef burger once, maybe twice, but Beyond Beef is gone in large part because it's just not delicious. Um, and it tastes kind of chemically. So like, people want to eat protein. They need to eat protein. They need to eat complete proteins. But we can't try to get too much engaged with the, I'll call it social engineering that sometimes a government is tempted to pursue. Uh, so something like the protein supercluster, if it was available to all proteins, would help the pork industry modernize and innovate and create better products for consumers so that they'd be able to acquire and eat more more pork, which frankly is the most affordable protein. Uh, it's, you know, delicious. It probably cooks better in a slow kicker than any other protein. Uh, and so, you know, like, let's avoid social engineering sometimes. And so that's the kind of thing I'd like to see from a regulatory environment. For example, like Canada's Health Guide last time, you know, they, they started with very much a bias towards plant protein, but then they realized quite quickly, well, frankly, young women and pregnant women absolutely have to eat animal protein. 
because it's the most complete protein. And without that, they are not going to be healthy uh, as they grow. It leads to all sorts of iron deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. So it is about, like, let's just accept that bacon is delicious and people want to eat it. So instead of worrying about social engineering all the time and, oh, I want to make sure that we're caught in the fads of the moment, really would love to see government ensure that we're not telling consumers what to eat. We're not telling consumers uh, what they should like. We're instead going to help consumers make the right choice for them. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes the right choice for them is going to be beef. It's going to be pork. It's going to be salmon. It's going to be beans. It can be any number of things. But let's not try to drive towards one kind of nutritional outcome that isn't going to be, uh, you know, the best nutritional outcome uh, for folks. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that answer. Um, I want to jump back to something we've talked about a little already, and that's food security, uh, specifically when it comes to the pork industry. But if you have insights on agriculture in general, how how critical is it that Canada maintains um, competitive policies that enable us to meet the world's food needs, especially with changing circumstances going forwards? So I'll just give the short answer to this is very. Uh, there's only two industries in which Canada can occupy a place as a world leader, and those industries are energy and agriculture. I'd include mining in the energy just because the products we're mining are really to sort of feed the energy industry so and the agriculture industry. So uh, the reason why those two industries is because Canada's abundant natural resources are, are really sort of dedicated in those areas. Um, and if we don't preserve agriculture and we don't sort of invest it and continue to view it as a, as a world leader, well, now we're going to try to compete in manufacturing with China. We're going to try to compete with, uh, you know, consumers, financial services with the United States of America. In almost every other area, somebody's going to have occupied that leadership position already, and we're going to be playing catch up. And we're probably never going to get enough investment, certainly from a public side, to make sure that we can do it. So uh, from my perspective, I think agriculture is the industry. And obviously, I work in agriculture, so no one should be surprised to hear me say this. But agriculture is the industry with the best growth potential in Canada. It's one of the reasons why I came into agriculture, right? I, I mean, I have an IT services background. Uh, could have gone into the IT services business, but I came into the agriculture business because this is the business that has the best chance of helping Canada grow and meet its international obligations in terms of being a source of food and a source of secure, constant, available food for the rest of the world. And that's, if we do that well, frankly, that's our international obligations. I like how you're worrying that because there's a sense of responsibility, right? Like we have these incredible resources in Canada. People rely on us. There is an obligation to perform those activities to the best of our abilities that we can to then help the world. And when we focus on developing production here uh, in various industries, but for the purposes today in like the agriculture and pork industries, that has global ramifications. Um, and I think that's important for any listener to take away. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. So I want to talk a bit about the economics of pork production. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people have uh, here is that uh, farming in general can be economically challenging for some. What does that look like in the pork industry? Oh, it's a challenging time, right? Uh, so I'm not going to be blunt about it. Uh, but we've been through challenging times before and we'll be through them again. Uh, and then there'll be times where things will be going better. Um, so, but that's, it's a cyclical business. Uh, and so we have to be, we have to be clear we're in a cyclical business. And one of the reasons why we want to have that kind of predictable 
Um, I'm going to pause for a second. Hold on. I'm going to cough. Hold on. Okay. I'm going to come back. I'll do the whole answer again. So uh, tough times in the pork industry now, and and probably will be again. Uh, the the key is to remember that all cyclical industries go through this, right? It, they they have their peaks and their valleys. Our goal really is to help ensure, and and I think that's one of the things that's changed about pork farming for us. Uh, pork farming for us has become uh, much more of a mixed operation. So the vast majority of pork farmers now not, don't rely solely on just their pork production in a way that they probably did 30 years ago. So now most of our pork farmers, you know, have cash crops. Uh, they have, they may uh, grow their own feed, whether it's canola or whether it's uh, corn or, or soybeans. So they'll be engaged in sort of some of the feed growing. They'll use their manure to fertilize the plants, uh, to fertilize their fields so that their fields, you know, they'll reduce their fertilizer costs. They'll get into that circular economy. And so, from our perspective, uh, you know, the, the pork industry's difficult times has really led to some innovation, though, right? And it's really led to some reinvestments from folks that, that, that see a long-term future for it. Uh, and it's also led to some, some other opportunities, right? Like, uh, the advantage of being a global commodity is that um, when things are tough in Canada, they're tough around the world, too. So, it does present an opportunity for Canadian farmers who are ready and innovative and, and adaptable and flexible, that in fact, it turns out we have more export opportunities at the end of a cycle like this, uh, and we can come out of it stronger than we came into it. Okay. And then kind of continuing with this topic, um, with many uh, of the agriculture industries, various sectors, there's been a lot of talk about uh, an aging demographic of who runs it. Um, and that obviously has challenges that have to be overcome. But it can also then present opportunities for individuals interested in this as a potential career and lifestyle option. So what, how would you kind of describe that, that demographic issue and what are the opportunities that emerge? Um, so, again, as with challenges, there are opportunities. So you're right. We do have a, a fairly strong, older population of farmers who've been doing this now for, you know, 25, 30, 40 years. Uh, they're starting to age out of some of those operations. They've uh, And they would love to sort of see, in some cases, uh, a transition uh, to a family succession model. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the children... Mm, aren't interested in working as hard as mom or dad did on the farm. Uh, so, you know, that can that can lead to some challenges there. But you also are seeing, this is one of the things that's been great in Canada, and I will applaud Canada for this. Uh, our immigration system has, in fact, sort of kept some of this in mind. So we've done a better job of recruiting new Canadians to fill some of those roles on farmers, right? So we've had that as opposed to south of the border where, uh, you know, they've, they've had some challenges around immigration in large part because they don't have a legal immigration cha channel that we do to help sort of recruit farm workers and, and to recruit people into the agriculture industry. So that's been a benefit. Uh, could we do better on it? For sure. But we're we're way further ahead than our than our southern neighbors are. Um, but but there are, you know, I mean, there are people who, you know, they go to Guelph for university and they come out and they're like, you know what, I want to try this farming thing. And and again, farming has changed, right? It is no longer um, 
solely as labor intensive. It is still a hard job, but a lot of the job now is about, you know, negotiating contracts with, uh, you know, with, with, with buyers and sellers, right? It's negotiating with suppliers, negotiating with, negotiating, selling the product, diversifying your uh, portfolio of what you produce to make sure that you're able to ride through some of these uh, peaks and valleys of some of the, some of the products. So, um, so, you know, it's still an incredibly interesting industry. And uh, for someone who wants to feel like they're making a difference in the world, there is no better industry to be in than agriculture. If you want to make a difference, if you want to sort of feel like you're doing meaningful work, um, you know, agriculture is the place to do that. Uh, and, and that's the reason why I'm here, right? There are other offers. Uh, you know, there are other places that might have wanted me. Um, now, many pork uh, producers might be surprised to know that other people wanted to hire me. But, uh, but you know, uh, when other people were looking, uh, you know, I sleep very well every night working for pork producers, uh, right? I know that this is meaningful, impactful work, uh, and I'm just happy that they let me do it. That's great. So what would be some potential misconceptions about the pork industry that you want to clear away? Oh God, how much time do we have? Uh, so, uh, I mean, I will say, so uh, we, we do have some groups that, uh, that try to demonize farmers uh, and I'm done with it. Actually. Uh, I, uh, there's no, I've never met anyone who cares more about their animals than a farmer. Anyone. Uh, and so I'll hear groups sometimes be like, oh, yeah, farmers, like seriously, like I've seen enough producers in their barns on a Saturday night at midnight, uh, you know, investing, putting drugs, uh, putting, you know, uh, antibiotics into an animal that they're going to sell in the in the long run for about two hundred dollars. And they're putting two hundred and fifty dollars worth of uh, of treatment into this animal to make sure that the animal is healthy and well and and doing the best that they can. Uh, so, I mean, the notion, you know, that I hear sometimes from folks who are, uh, who would love to see us all become vegans, uh, the notion I hear from them sometimes that, oh, you know, animal farmers, uh, producers don't care about their animals. Well, that's, I won't swear, but it's, it's untrue. It's a falsehood and it's a lie. And I'm weary of that. So I'm weary of the demonization of farmers. That's one misconception I'd like to change. The other misconception is that farmers aren't among the most sophisticated employers and the most sophisticated industries on the planet now. This is an incredibly complicated business. Like we are, uh, you know, we're on a global commodities market all the time. There's so many inputs and there's so many costs and there's so many sort of different things. You have to really have a pretty good sense about all the ways in which we're going to uh, manage the industry today. And I think that that's a misconception, that there's still this notion, and I've heard this from some MPs, right? Oh, you know, farmers still. I'm like, yeah, no, like you wouldn't be able to be a farmer. Like nothing personal. You're a member of parliament. You would not be able to be a farmer. You don't have the skill set. You don't have the knowledge and you don't have the wherewithal. Uh, and I'm not in any case sort of demeaning how hard it is to be a member of parliament there. But it's just it's it's such a complete lifestyle choice that the vast majority of people would never get there. Okay, well, that's interesting. And I, you know, I, I certainly love eating pork. And I, I get what you're saying about the, um, the, the farmers really do care about their animals. And that makes me feel better then when I go and buy those products. So someone's listening to this, and they're like, this sounds really interesting. From your perspective in the pork industry, 
what are some of the opportunities out there for careers that are either in the pork industry or related to it that we might not know about? So actually great. If you think about sort of pork, like every supply chain, right? So you've got transportation jobs. So if you, if you really like, sorry. So if if you're, if you're listening and you think to yourself, look, I'd really like to be um, involved, but I want to be in the trucking industry, for example. Well, we have animal livestock transporters, right? So we've got drivers, you've got company owners, you've got car, truck wash uh, businesses. You've got a whole series of businesses around that side of our business. You've also got the whole feed business. So you've got, you know, people you can get involved in feed sales. You can get involved in the genetics around sort of improving the quality of the feed. You can also get involved in the genetics of the pork itself, right? So how do we, how do we make sure that we're, you know, emphasizing the right genetics? We, of course, also have all of the animal health side of that. So veterinarians, veterinarian assistants, all of those kinds of jobs. So uh, the amount of opportunities around uh, around the pork industry are high. There's just a, an enormous number of things, really, from you know uh, everything having to do with uh, getting the the products that are going to feed the animals and uh, you know help the animals all the way through, then to if you wanted to you know sort of sell pork, right? So you could go work for a a processing company, you could work for Maple Leaf Foods, you could work for, uh, you know, Safina, you could work for any number of those companies and, and be involved in the sale of, uh, of pork to, uh, to supermarkets. You could, you could even, uh, frankly, if you wanted to, uh, to run your own farmer's market, right? So, and you wanted to get involved with, uh, with selling pork at, at a farmer's market level, right? You'd then get involved with a provincial abattoir and try to find a way of, um, you know, getting involved in that. So there's really, the, the like any industry, right? There are any number of opportunities that don't just involve being the farmer itself, right? So you, um, you know, you can even get involved in, um, you know, clothing, right? You can get involved in uh, selling clothing and selling boots and selling biosecurity materials in some way, shape or form to farmers. So really it's any number of things all associated to the industry. And, and they're all important because they're all going to help farmers continue to produce safe, high quality pork that the world needs and wants. Fascinating. So my last question for you, young Canadians listening to this, he's interested. He's like, sign me up. What would be your advice to a young Canadian who wants to get involved in this industry? So two things. Uh, I think that's great. They should hundred percent get involved in it. Uh, secondly, the second thing I would think they should say is they should call a pork, a pork farmer. So call your provincial pork association, it, wherever you live in Canada, whether that's Alberta pork or or we name them all, by the way, incredibly complicated names. So it's either Saskatchewan pork, Alberta pork, Ontario pork, Manitoba pork, Les Elvards de Port de Québec. But call your provincial pork association and say, I want in, what can I do? Um, and so in some cases, there, there's probably a farmer who's looking for some help. You could probably get hired, frankly, tomorrow just to help on the farm and, uh, you know, learn the business from the ground up. I, I mean, there's no one more interested in helping people learn the business than farmers. One of the other great things about farmers that I forgot to tell you is they are incredibly open with their knowledge and they don't, they don't think that by getting you ready to be in this business, that in any way it's going to hurt them. They're not competitive that way. They're partners. They think that, you know, more farmers is just better for them. Um, 
And so, the, you know, from that perspective, they're going to be incredibly open. They're going to be incredibly helpful to you. And uh, they're going to be looking for you to uh, to come work with them. And then if you, you know, end up going off on your own at some point in time and, uh, and working on another farm or working somewhere else, they're more than happy to see people joining the industry and, uh, and continuing to pursue their uh, love of farms as well. Well, Stephen, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you for joining us on the People, Planet, Prosperity podcast. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember to stay tuned for future episodes and subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much.